Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Holistic habits. Now, holistic habits for a lot of people, you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? And uh, really, how we broke it down was kind of through this lens. So, holistic habits, meaning that in in the uh, a lot of the times we've heard the phrase, you know, be holy as I am holy. Now, how many of you guys know? Seems like a pretty high standard holiness, right? You come up to somebody like if, you're, if I were to come up to you and be like, hey, you've been pretty holy recently. Like a lot of us would be like, well, it's kind of weird. It's pretty forward, but but at the same time, it's like. This unsettling of like, what is holiness? Like, what is it? And so what we've been talking about is, is not holiness through the H-O-L-Y, but holiness in a different light. And that light is this, is holiness W-H-O-L-L-Y. The reason we're talking about holiness is because actually if you look at Leviticus, um, specifically, there was one tribe that was dedicated to following God. And that tribe, right, was the Levites, but in it, it actually says on multiple times that they were going to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, devoted to the service of God. So essentially their holiness was a byproduct of their whole of themselves following him. And so what I wanted to talk about, because I think a lot of the times we talk about holiness, but we have no understanding of how we can get to becoming holy. And really it comes down to the W-H-O-L-L-Y that translates in to the H-O-L-Y. Does that make sense to people? And so what we've been talking about, if you've came here for a while, is we, t- we, we harp on this weekly and we will be a place that heavily emphasizes this, is we're all about spiritual formation, what a rhythms, habits, lifestyle disciplines, practicals, what are those things that form us in our daily walk with Christ? Because in all honesty, this Sunday gathering will not do it today anymore. It will not. There's too many things in the world. There's too much stuff all crowding for our attention and fixate. Our goal was to restore the gaze of humanity back to its creator. And trust when our gaze is upon the creator, the creator can create once again. See, believe it or not, all of us at some point have said, I want to be able to create something of my life. But we've maybe missed the biblical understanding that the creator can create if your eyes are upon him. And if the creator can create all of everything today, he can create something with you. So with that, I've been talking specifically about holistic habits, what it means to be in Scripture. What does it mean to have a worldview in which we understand the Bible, we study the Bible, we apply the Bible, and we view the Bible as a necessity to who we are? Because believe it or not, what's fascinating today is the biblical illiteracy is is much higher than it's ever been, and the Bible is more accessible than it's ever been. And really what it comes down to is the time and the room. A few years ago, I went to a uh, Notre Dame game. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. I don't want to talk about this season. It's fine. I'm over it. Just kidding. 
still suffering. Um, but, but I'm a Notre Dame fan, Notre Dame football. Me and my wife, we grew up, uh, or, or, and by grew up, we were in Michigan before we came here. I was, I was born in California, but I moved to Michigan when I was 10 years old and, and lived there until before we moved here. And so where we lived in Michigan was about a half hour from Notre Dame Stadium. So we went to, I went to a lot of Notre Dame games growing up. Now, on one particular occasion, I had a really good friend. His name was Larry. And me and Larry were like, man, we want to go to a Notre Dame game. And there was a, a game. It was Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame was playing them at 8 p.m. It was a night game at Notre Dame Stadium. And we also wanted it to be a hilarious story, so we decided we, this was going to be the first time we ever tried to buy tickets from scalpers. Now, if you don't know what that means, those are the people who sell tickets outside of the stadium that's mildly sketchy and I wouldn't recommend. That was a joke. Literally, don't scalp, just buy on TickPick or something. So I remember we go, and it's, it's a, scalping tickets is fun because you can kind of negotiate and then be like, no, and then like, yeah, and it's like, offer them like way less, and it's not disrespectful because they're used to it. And, and finally, I, we kind of worked through a bunch of guys, and we finally came to this guy who had two tickets on the 50-yard line, and we got them for dirt cheap, and it was incredible. We were so excited. So me and Larry, what do we do? We get in the stadium. It's a night game. Virginia Tech on the 50-yard line, lower level. That's like super expensive ticket that we did not pay much for. And I remember we are sitting there and we're watching the warm-ups. I like Notre Dame Stadium, if you didn't know this, has incredible Wi-Fi. So I'm like FaceTiming my friends like, look, we're on the 50. Let's go. You know, I'm, I'm ready to rumble. And, and what happens is about 10 minutes before kickoff, somebody walks up to us. We're on the 50. We're getting ready. And they look at you. They looked at us and they said, you're in our seats. And I looked at them and I said, no, I'm not. They looked at me and said, yes, you are. So we looked at each other's tickets. We got the same ticket. <laughs> same one. So they're a group of four. We're a group of two. And we had two tickets that overlapped. So what happens? They look at me. They say, do, you, do we want to go to the ticket office and resolve this? And I said, not really. And they said, <laughs> and they said neither do we. And they had two sons that were about my age. I said, neither do we. And I said, so what are you guys thinking? They said, well, if we put our two sons with you and Larry, in, if we can fit six people in four seats, these are bleacher seating, I think we can make it work. And I looked at him and I said, I think we can make it work. So most people, most people watch football like this. We watched it like this. <laughs> And it was hilarious because, I mean, we weren't on, like, the ends of the aisles. Like, we're crammed in, and it's six people in four seats. It's like this. People, like, look in there like, hey, that doesn't look like it's supposed to fit. It's like, it, it's not, but when your tickets are on the 50-yard line, you make it work. But the reason I tell you that is because it was so important to me that I would contort and make anything happen for me to experience it. And I say that because I think a lot of the times, if I ask you about biblical importance and a lifestyle of studying scripture in a day-to-day -day habit, most of us would say, well, it's important, but do we contort our lives to fit it in? Because for a lot of us, waking up a little earlier, going to bed a little later, or spending some time undistracted is something we just, we don't have the margin for, but we do, but we tell ourselves we don't. And what's sad is, is, believe it or not, there are things in your life that you will sacrifice anything for. Is Scripture one of them? Is it one of them? And what I mean by that is I think for me, a lot of the times, even within productivity and how we live our lives, if we're followers of Christ, I would say a mandate of followers of Christ 
is the practical pursuit of biblical knowledge. The practical pursuit of pulling out truths of scripture and applying them to all that we are. And I want to encourage you this. I believe, in, and in all honesty, before we even get into the word, I'm just going to say this. And I was going to say it later and set it up way better. But I just feel like it's good. Today, if you believe, believe it or not, I, what I think is happening in the world with man-made religion. And what I mean, and I'm going to read here in a second what I mean is. What I believe with, what's happening with man-made religion is we are not preaching the Bible fully. And so the world is able to fill in the cracks with new theology that's man-made. And what I mean by that is think about, I just want to read really quick, right? Manifestations, you know that word manifest, made manifest, is actually found in the Bible first. Manifestations, visions, or dreams, or what people qualify as trances today, that's in the Bible. Energy, that's in the Bible. Prophecy, the ability to, to tell the future, that's foretold in the Bible. Healing of both mental, emotional, traumatic, and physical, that's in the Bible. Third eye, I love that one because it's pretty much just like Holy Spirit, boom. Meditation in Scripture, that's in the Bible. Stargazing and astronomy, listen to this one, this one was fascinating, I was reading a commentary. Stargazing and astronomy, where do you think the wise men found Jesus? Reading the stars. Let that sink in for a second. Now, I'm not saying that we're going we're gonna to have a horoscope from Scripture. But what, I, but, but what I am saying is there's precedent if you look and you study that you'll find that God has created creation in a way to point to him in literally all of these expressions. Let's continue, right? The connection to Mother Earth and and nature of today, that's found in Scripture. Love, joy, peace as supreme virtues, found in Scripture. Out-of-body experiences. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, and Aaron Rodgers was talking about all these shrooms all off-season, right? (laughs) Found in Scripture. (laughs) What am I trying to say? Some of y'all are like, dang, what's going on? Don't worry, we're going to go there. Cheap ripoffs of the Bible and Jesus are man-made religions that really what it comes down to is we do not want to acknowledge lordship in these areas. We want them to exist outside of the framework of submitting to a being that's above us. What I'm saying is, is we're creating room for people to create different offshoot religions because we don't understand that our religion, our relationship can encompass all of those things. And the only thing that's different is just a submission to something higher than us. And I would say that that actual statement, submission to something higher than you, is probably the root of why it's hard to get into the Bible to begin with. To admit there's something above you. To admit admit there's an authority that you should follow. To admit that there's a Lord who's supreme over your life. That's a tough pill to swallow when we're raised on a culture of control. And so what I want to do is there's actually just a fantastic insight. uh, A fantastic insight into studying scripture. And it's actually found in Psalms 119. Now, if you know anything about Psalms 119, it is the longest chapter in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, right? It is an extremely long chapter. And what, it, what I mean is that it has 176 verses, but what's fascinating is this, is I want to read this to you, is the entire chapter, 176 verses, is all about David saying over and over and over and over some 
alliteration of I love your word, God. I love your precepts. I love your law. I love everything about your ordinances. Over and over. He's just just reverberating this revelation that God, if it wasn't for your word, I'd have nothing. And what's funny is this, is is the words actually that are used to, to describe written law that he's writing about is... Based on precept, ordinance, command, statue, word, law, or testimony of God is mentioned 173 times in this verse, in this chapter. 173 times David says the, one of those words. He either says precepts, ordinance, commands, statues, words, laws, or testimonies of God. He's quoting over and over just this exuberance on the written understanding of what was given to man as instruction from heaven. So what I wanted to do is I actually want to read you some of my favorites. There's a bunch of them, so don't worry. We'll we'll be fine. Psalms 119.1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? I know we're only a house of pure men here. However, how how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to his word. This one the imagery, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. My soul is crushed with longing. Psalms 119.24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They are my counselors. Psalm 119.28, my soul weeps with grief. Strengthen me with your word. Psalm 119.32, I will run the way of your commandments, for it is you who will enlarge my heart. Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. What's funny is, is actually in Psalm 119 specifically, I believe there's, there's over 20 instances where the word and revive are used connected. Where essentially he's like, revive me in your word, revive me in your preset, you revive me in scripture. All of these things are said, and it's funny because as a church we talk about revival, or even for some of us when we're looking and we're like, man, I'm feeling a little dusty and crusty. David's like, I'm telling you, you can be revived in this, you can be revived in this, you can be revived in this, you can be revived in this over and over and over Psalm 119.40, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Psalm 119.50, This is my comfort in affliction that your word has revived me. Psalm 119.57, The Lord is my portion. See, we sing that one, but listen to this one. I have promised to keep his words. Imagine if every time we heard that, God, you're my portion, or we sung about portion... In the scripture, we also thought about, but and I'm going to keep your promises always. Let's keep going. Psalm 119.62, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. There's not much I'm doing at midnight. See, I know we got a lot of young people in here who are up till that late, but I'm not. I'm sleeping. At midnight, I will rise And give thanks for your righteous ordinances. Don't worry, we're going to keep going on that one here in a second. Psalms 119.70. Their hearts are covered in fat, but I delight in your law. I love this because it's like essentially what David is saying is, hey, those who don't have the law of Christ, their hearts are covered in fat. 
But to delight in the law of the Lord is almost like, it's almost this insinuation of it's not a fatty heart, it's a strong one. Let's continue to read Psalms 119.71. It is good that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. How many of us have prayed that one? Thank you, Lord, for me going through terrible stuff. Really grateful to learn more about you. In this day and age, the first thing, when things start to happen that are, God is, are, are challenging our theology, a lot of the times the last thing we want to do is study more. But this one, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It was good that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Psalms 119.75. I know your judgments are righteous and in your faithfulness. Whew. Another one. You have afflicted me. I know that you judge rightly and I know that you judge faithfulness. And I know that you're faithful. And even though you've afflicted me, I'm still with you. This is giving such a wide view of God, not as just this man, God's going to revive you if you study the word. And if you're, if you're in it, he's going to do all of these. He's going to bless you. That's how it starts. Psalms 119.1. Like, then it's flipping to, hey, even if I'm afflicted, thank you for the opportunity to go deeper. Even if I'm going through, and even if I'm going through things that are difficult, I thank you for your righteousness and for your faithfulness. Psalms one nineteen ninety two. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. See, what the reason I'm reading these is because if you couldn't tell, there's a litmus test going on internally in you right now, and the litmus test is this: Do I believe what I'm reading? Do I believe what I'm reading? Do I believe that he can, that afflictions, he's, you know, do I believe that difficulties, do I believe in his righteousness and faithfulness, even when it looks like he's, there might be judgment like we just referenced? See, we're, con- we're confronting an inward theology that if we're not fleshing out in scripture can actually be the thing that consumes our faith. Because worldview of comfort and consumerism doesn't match up to carrying a cross sometimes. Let's continue to read Psalms 119.93. I'll never forget your precepts, for by it they refined me. For by it they refined me. You know, there was something I was thinking about this week, and it was this. Faith is a gift, but beliefs are formed. And I believe a lot of people, what we think about Christ is this, God, I accept you and I now have faith in the resurrected Messiah. I now believe and know that he can wash my sin away. But then what happens is there's this process of sanctification where God says, listen, I am so happy you now have faith, but will you have belief? And beliefs are only formed through an awareness of God's word and that practical application in which it grows our ability to understand and discern his Holy Spirit's leading. And that is where beliefs start to take root. The only problem is, is like I said, we're all about the faith gift, but the belief formation sounds like some hard work. Let's continue reading. It says this, Psalms 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 119.116. Sustain me according to your word that I may live. Psalm 119.127. I love your commandments above gold. 
Yes, above fine gold. Psalms 119, 131. I opened my mouth wide and panted. Listen, get this mental picture in your head. For I longed for your commandments. I opened up my mouth and panted, longing for your commandments. Psalms 119, 148. My eyes anticipate the night watches, so I may meditate on your word. What you may not know about this passage is there's four watches of the night. And those four watches are from sunset to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3, and 3 to 6. So think about that. My eyes anticipate the night watches. He's not talking about the the. The early ones. He's talking about the midnight to three. He's talking about the three to the six a.m. How many of you guys know that's that is carrying the cross? I feel like my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 119, 173, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. If you think about that last one, I think the last hand that we want to reach to sometimes is God's. But what we don't realize is that when we're in his word, it's actually part of that belief formation is the recognition that I don't want to reach for any other hand but his. I don't, want to, I don't want my own hands to do it. I, don't, I, I only want God's hand to do it for me. You know, another one that I think is so interesting is this idea that Scripture doesn't apply um, in so many different areas and how much it's actually reinforced when you look at our world. And one of those things, there was a... a, a a crazy kind of article I was reading that was that I, I'm going to reference here, but really it's this: is all of us have had heard of you know don't touch the hot stove, right? And some of us have touched that hot stove and have blisters or have blisters currently from touching the hot stove. But I think spiritually, right? When we read things and it says, oh, we shouldn't do that. This is like hot stove theology. Like, oh, there's a list of things that we shouldn't do because if we do them, we might get burned. But I want to reframe this around the idea that hot stove theology is not God worried about the stove. It's rather he's worried about what the stove can do to your hand. And I think a lot of the times when we read the Bible, we read and we go, oh, you know, God says this. And it's like, okay, but, you know, I don't, I don't really necessarily know if that's true. And God is essentially saying, listen, I'm not, the, the sin, yes, I don't love the sin, but I'm more worried about what the sin can do to you. I'm more worried about what the bur- what can happen when you interact with this, these things that you're not supposed to interact with. This article that I want to reference really quickly, and, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, but it's, it was so wild. It's from a, from a pastor named A.J. Swoboda that I really respect. And it was talking about information bias as it pertains to, and don't worry, we're all adults in here, I, I think. <laughs> as it pertains to sexual activity... And, and biblical awareness. And what it said is that there's, a, there's a, a chemical in our brain called vasopressin. And the brain, every time we have, we have an intimate sexual connection with somebody, the brain in males releases a rush of chemicals. And in men, it is strategic because what that rush of chemicals does is it's, it's a guarding and nurturing chemical in which from the beginning of time, what it is, is it bonds you to your mate in a protective manner. 
In a protective manner, it bonds you to your mate. Now, this is where it gets interesting. However, this is short-circuited and eventually stops working properly when you have met many, many partners. Scientifically, there is now proof multiple, har- multiple partners is harmful for your mental, emotional, and, and well-being as a nurturing and maturing adult because it fries out that chemical receptor. So the bond of protection and guardianship... And I'll, I'll fight for you and I'm with you. That is worn out. So what's interesting is, right, I say that and then we talk about how the Bible maybe says, hey, don't, don't have multiple partners. Don't, don't have sex with a bunch of people. Now, one on the side is like, okay, well, scientifically, that makes sense that that could happen. On the other, it's like, well, you know, that was written thousands of years ago. Is it really true today? See, what I'm trying to say is this. Information bias in the Bible is essentially we read it through the worldview of where we are currently. And then what we do is try to define it within that worldview of where we are currently. And this is what it takes. Is over and over, God, I don't just want the gift of faith. I want beliefs that are formed. I want a biblical awareness and understanding of not just the importance of your word, but how that word actually encompasses all of who I am, that I can be formed in your image, that I can be a part of your kingdom, but more than that, that heaven can be a part of my earth. And what I wanted to do quickly is this, is I wanted to just give us three thoughts to close today. Three thoughts to close. They're just three quick hitters based on this revelation of Psalm 119 and based on the understanding of how important it is to be somebody who studies Scripture. And the first one is this, and I just referenced it a little this. Do you change your behavior or you, do you change your theology so your behavior feels better? And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times what happens is, is we have feelings and we have behaviors that have become so rudimentary that we function over and over. And then when we read passages of Scripture that address the direct behavior, it is so much easier to just glaze over them because we have been so entrenched in our view. Now, here's the other thing is believers, believe it or not, this may happen to you at some point when we profess lordship, but we don't walk in that lordship. The Lord will use things in our life to confront that lordship issue. And what I mean by that is that might be a struggle. That might be a trial. That might be an unforeseen circumstance in which God is coming to you and saying, hey, I know that you said, follow me. I'm going to redirect this course because how you function and what you profess are way different. Or as Michael Scott, the great theologian, says, I want, I want all of the credit and I want none of the blame. <laughs> and I want to encourage you that I think we want all of the credit for following Christ, but none of the blame if our behavior doesn't dictate it. I promise you this, it is worth it. I promise you this, there isn't enough words, there aren't enough sermons I could preach that could adequately, def- adequately define my relationship with scripture and how important it is to me. There is, there, if God gave me the choice, listen, you could have an incredibly huge church and do incredible things, or you can continue that habit and have it. I would choose the habit over and over because there is something that hardwires my humanity together when I am being formed, not just in my faith profession, but my beliefs from the Bible. The second thing is this, you cannot grow in faith if you're not growing in faithfulness. 
Intimacy is a product of a lifestyle of pursuit and habits of holiness. A lifestyle of pursuit and habits of holiness. I believe a lot of us, we want to grow in faith, but if we're assessing our faithfulness, it's like, okay, maybe that doesn't exist as much. Faithfulness, patterns, lifestyle, disciplines, habits, routines. And I'm going to reference this again. We talked about this many, uh, many weeks ago, but we've created kind of some documents on our website. If you go to fixatephx.com, there's a tab called Holistic Habits where we literally go. I just all it is is a hyper practical video on ways that how you can read your Bible and how you can have an active prayer life. It's six, seven minutes and some reading material. But the Bible one specifically for some of us, we're like, man, I want to grow in faith. But we have no faithfulness attached to studying scripture. If you're looking for a baseline, where do I go with this and how do I even take this? Go to our website, Holistic Habits, How to Read the Bible. I go into my favorite commentaries, my favorite Bible, Bible in a year reading, my favorite what me and my wife do weekly with our Bible study in terms of how we do it. Um, books that you can read to supplement your understanding of Scripture because that's really what it comes down to is I genuinely believe all of us want to grow our faith But I don't know if all of us want to do what's necessary for the faithfulness. Some of you guys catching this in the stadium. And the last one is this. I I got this word actually a few years ago. I'm going to grab this. And I felt like I was supposed to share it just because it, it, it was pretty profound for me. And I hope it is for you. But if you notice... There's a lot of plugs on this one. Tried to find the biggest one. Let's see, how many do we even have here? There's 18 plugs on here and four of these little USB things. That's a lot. But I want to say this, the Bible is a power strip. It's not a wall outlet. One plug. See, a lot of the times what we're trying to do is we're trying to plug in to something that will give us power in a lot of different areas. What you may not realize is when you study scripture, when you plug in, you might find that you start to develop a power for your marriage, for your finances, for your vision, for your perseverance, for your decision making, for your character building, for your relationships, for your conflict, for your prayer, for leading your family, for growing your faith, for your worldview, for your sexuality. See, what you might find out is that when you plug into Scripture is there's a charge that starts to go out in a lot of different areas. See, a lot of us, we've been going to the Bible thinking we just plug in and, okay, God, help me receive. And we don't realize that faithfulness starts to produce a power that transforms the ability to change and be charged. And I want to say this to you today. See, once again, we've, we've looked at God as a wall outlet and not a power strip. And there isn't a surge that have, there isn't no breaker that can trip that, that disintegrates the power that he's trying to give you. The Bible isn't just this one thing that if we understand it, that's great. But it's this thing that as we start to grow in the understanding, more questions come up. But at the same time, the questions that we started with, those things start to change and just Because what happens is is God starts charging the areas of our lives. And I want to challenge you in that. Because for a lot of us, 
there's this realization of God. Why is your Bible so important? Why is it that we still talk about this book that's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old? And I believe that for a lot of us, the challenge is this, is if you will not pursue it and prioritize it, there will come a point where you're professing God and you're looking around and you don't know how you got where you, were, where you are, but you know it's not following him. Yesterday at the golf course, me and Jarrell played. I played incredible, but before the round. <laughs> before the round, I told Jarrell that there was a frost delay. I, I was going to go the, I was get a hot dog and go to the restroom. So I'm in the restroom in the stall. And I, I'm going to the bathroom and I get done. And I remember getting done. And I was in the stall and I was just really sitting on my phone because I had plenty of time. And it was just fine. And you guys fill in the blanks. But anyway, I get done. I'm washing my hands. I wash in my hands and I look behind me and there's a woman that walks in. And I look at her, and she looks at me. She doesn't say anything, doesn't scream, nothing. I wash my, and I walk out, and I look at the door, and it says women's. And I was in there about 10 minutes. But what was funny is I'd, been, I'd gotten so comfortable with the behavior of going to the bathroom that I'd forgotten that I actually have to be aware, too. And I would say this, I believe that sometimes in the church as Christians, we get so comfortable with the behavior of what being a Christian is that we forget that we have to be aware and functional as a Christian or we'll find ourselves in places that we never thought we'd be. I pray that you don't find yourself in those places. Or I would say this, you find out a lot about yourself when it gets difficult and maybe the places you never thought you would be were mainly the places that all of a sudden unforeseen circumstance and pain came in that you didn't see coming and if you didn't have that faithfulness if you didn't have that awareness and if you didn't have that root in scripture all of a sudden not just your theology is changing but you're assessing your lordship decision because once again, it's easy. What the enemy's going to do first is he's going to challenge your beliefs and then he's going to strip your faith away. Read the Bible, it's good. Let's stand to our feet. If you've never been here before, you know I kind of just read a prayer over everybody after we after the sermon that's just scripted out on what it was about so whatever your posture for receiving is whether that's open hands or just silence into yourself I pray that you would receive this prayer for yourself today Father today destroy the negative stereotype of biblical awareness. We repent of weaponized knowledge meant to control or manipulate others into a way of thinking or believing. Would you make us a new heart? One that cannot go a day without communing in your scriptures. One that must know the precepts, memorize the commandments, and take seriously that you have written your words on our hearts so we may not sin against you. We no longer profess ourselves as Christians and then have no commitment to your words today. We want to be watered by your truth, pruned by your instruction, and established in your covenant. 
We want to be people who strengthen and uphold what it means to be a servant of Jesus in our day and age. May we be people who know the shepherd's voice because we frequented the shepherd's words. Oh God, may fix Satan be a place that doesn't run from the difficulty of how the Bible meets culture and walks the fine line between grace and truth as Jesus did in his day. We change our behavior to the Bible, not the Bible to our behavior. We want to grow our faith and in doing that, God, we commit to faithfulness. God, may we always recognize the restorative power of your holy word that can charge every part of our personhood if we are willing to drink deeply from the living water. Jesus, we repent and say today that your written word has new priority. And that new priority for everything, it's with us everywhere and oxygen to the lungs of our future selves. Your word is today. Your word is tomorrow. Your word is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.